Hey, give the Lord a hand. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord. It's good to see you this morning, and you should say to me, and it's good to be seen. Especially welcoming you, those online with us in different time zones. Thank you, those in these time zones. We uh, got a sweet hello and love gift from our dear friend in Florida. Bless you, Carol. And we got uh, our friends out on the West Coast and those who are in different time zones tuning in. Um, hey, how about we say hello to Pakistan and uh, hello Pakistan, bless you, and Israel and uh, Africa and India. Hey, it all sounds good to me. The wonders and the wonders of the kingdom of God. Well, I want to uh, start off with again another prayer, Father. Open our eyes as we make a journey and a quest to discover the keys to favor, the favor of God, your favor, O oh Lord. We know your favor is true, and we know your favor is available, and we know it's your heart to favor us, Father. So Lord, some may ask that question, why not me, or when me, or how much more me? Father, answer those questions for us as we take this journey over the next few weeks. And ask us, Lord, the questions that we need to be asked that we might answer them. For God, you ask a question and you give the answer. We bless you for that, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit anoint and lead and bless us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, if I were to ask you a question and ask you, what is it that you're seeking uh, for success and what is the key to life take a ponder at that for a moment and be honest about how you would answer it I'm not going to call you up but just in your own spirit answer that question what is the key to life what is the key for success what's what is the summation of a successful life is it the way that we're judged in the world is it the way that we are taught in school? Is it even the systems sometimes we learn or don't learn in our family lives, correct? I know that many of us are a product of words that have been spoken to us and over us of how we were either gonna struggle or not amount to much. How many of you have had those words put in your life? Yeah. And sometimes it's devastating, isn't it? Uh, when you're young, it can have consequences. You could actually accept that because it's what? Coming from an authority, a teacher, or a parent, or a coach, or just a random person uh, who imparts something and it sort of sticks like an arrow in your soul or your spirit. And it's haunting unless we get released and freed of it, isn't it? It's haunting. And uh, the evil world will try to even bring it back to you when you're a whole new creation and in the light and try to remind you of something that somebody told you, right? Um, we've all had that. I won't go through mine. I had my share of them, to be honest with you. Maybe I helped to instigate that because I was behaving so well, but the bottom line was it still impacted me. And uh, it impacts you. Well, God has given us 
specific truths of the word. And one of those is that when we have knowledge and understanding, we can learn to walk in the favor of God. So what we're going to seek right now is some knowledge and understanding about favor and the favor of God. And some of us are gonna have to tune ourselves up a little bit. We're gonna have to be honest if we really want to receive this and not only receive it, but to activate it in our lives and to walk in it. How many of you would like to have the confidence that every step that you take, every decision that you make, you can walk in the favor of God? How many would like that? Of course we do. How many of you, be honest, would say right now that you have that confidence? A few, okay. Um, I can tell you I have that confidence. I'm not being arrogant, but I work at it, and I practice it, and I work it all the time in everything I do, and when I don't, I find myself having to catch up to that discipline. Now, it just didn't occur in my life. I just didn't wake up one day and I had this great rhema truth of how to walk in the favor of God. I realized that what was inhibiting me from walking in the favor of God, or at least including the confidence of God, was my own lack of understanding or my disobedience, one or the other. Some of it ignorance, but I'd like to blame it more on that, more of it willful. I don't think we have too many milk drinkers here or there, and even if you are, the Holy Spirit will bring us to that place where we have the opportunity to be mature in the Lord. And so I want to take that approach. I have way, way too much to cover in one morning, so we're not going to do that. We'll do this in some parts. It's more important that we receive it appropriately than not to receive it. One of the worst things I think that can happen for anybody, a tragic thing, is a life that hasn't fulfilled what one has been called to do. How many know that you know, we've talked to people, both of all different age groups, but especially when people begin, begin to get in that last part of their race. Now some begin to declare it way too early, right? I've heard people that are 40 years old, oh, it's all down here from there, and I scratch my head, and 50, and then 60, and then 70, oh, my days are numbered. Well, I have truth for you. Your days are numbered, but it doesn't mean that they're depleting. There's a big difference. Every one of us has time that is the measurement of our life, correct? There's time to lose, time to gain, time to weep, time to joy. Everything is measured by a time, but time isn't our enemy, time's our ally. Time is our ally when we walk in the favor of God. And when we walk in the favor of God, we're no longer consequential to time. People that are afraid about time or age need to slap themselves and get in the favor of God. And isn't it wonderful to run into somebody who's 80, 85, 90, 95, almost 100 years old, and they just tell you they're so happy, they're blessing God, they're living life to the fullest, and, <clears throat> and they have no fears. And they may tell you they're ready, but they also tell you they're happy to stay, right? It's because time, time is a measurement of life. 
and existence, many ways, can be a kind of living death because there's no purpose. If there's no purpose in somebody's life, then they're already living out their death. Think about that for a moment. Now, I've preached this many times, and I've seen it, and I'm not going to pick on some people that have gone home suddenly, and some of us would think too soon. And I'm not talking about, you know, a child that was in an accident or something of that sort. I'm talking about people of God, leaders of God. I'm talking about people who have established themselves in a ministry, in a calling, in a kingdom with a following, and all of a sudden, boom, they're evaporated. Well, I heard somebody say a long time ago, and I prayed about it, that when we begin to stray away from our purpose in the kingdom of God, once the Holy Spirit has anointed us for that purpose, we become insignificant to the kingdom purpose. And if you become insignificant, the next thing that could happen is you could fall away. So God, in his grace and his mercy, sometimes will take people of great understanding and knowledge home suddenly so they don't slip away. Or because they've become insignificant in it, and they're really not happy living the day-to-day life anymore, so the Lord answers that prayer of their spirit. You may think about that and say, wow, that's pretty harsh. But I've seen it happen over and over and over and over. That's why I find it exhilarating to be around old generals, old leadership, old pastors, old women and men of God who have great wisdom walking in the things of God because they've run their race, but they're still running it. They haven't quit running the race. How many of you have heard, even in the the physical realm, the secular world, somebody says, oh, I can't wait to retire, and they have all these things they're going to do when they retire, and it lasts just a little while, and the next thing you know, they've got an illness. They've got something that's not allowing them to fulfill what they wanted to do that was so-called their dream. How about when a great person of God says, I'm retiring? You see, I I can't think that way. I don't understand that. I don't know how you retire from a calling of God. I know what happens when you do. Bye bye. I know you go away. Or I know that everything that has been entrusted in your hands is all of a sudden imploded and entrusted to someone else, the next person in line. There's no such thing as a born again believer retiring from the calling of God. Let that soak in a moment. No such thing. Now, if you say, but pastor, you know, I. You know, maybe my retirement is going to a, a different environment, a different place. Uh, I don't like the winter. I want to move to Florida. Uh, I want to go here. Well, that's fine, but what are you going to do when you get there? You're going to just wallow in the sun? Trust me, the, the sun of Florida can, not become, can become your enemy real quick. <laughs> right now, the people in Florida are wishing they were in Ohio or somewhere else, or they're buying homes in Georgia, or going to Vermont, or going up to Maine, or going into Alaska. I just talked to somebody who was from Miami. I was waiting for their call, and I finally got him, and he says, oh, I'm boarding a plane in Alaska. I said, what are you doing? He said, I was up here fishing. It was too hot in Miami. I said, well, how was it there? He says, oh, it was very nice weather in the 60s, and at night it got a little cold. I said, yeah, how'd you sleep? He goes, not so good. It was light all the time. You know, I said, ah, okay. So I said, you need to stop in Ohio. We're just perfect here right now on your way back. Take a stop right here. 
and you'll be blessed. And so we are those who are looking for the keys to life and living. And these keys can bring us uh, a purpose. Now, the greatest tragedy in life isn't so much death. Yes, early death can be, but you know, we're going to find out someday in the heavenly places what God's purpose is for somebody that he called home early. It could be that there was a, another reason, another purpose, or he, they were avoiding something in their life. We're going to find out that nothing is random with God. Everything is ordered. But for those of us who have a calling, for those of us who have said, Jesus is our Lord, if you have said, Jesus is your Lord, then you've also said to him, I will serve you. I will serve your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I will be a prisoner of the Lord. I won't do the things that I want to do in my flesh. I will do the things that I should do in my spirit for you. I will say what you tell me to say. I will try my best to do what you tell me to do. I will try my best to be what you ask me to be. I will serve you. That's what we do when we accept Jesus as our Lord, correct? We just don't say he's Lord because it makes us feel good or because it's religious. We accept him as our Lord because we're saying, Lord, you say it, I'll do it. You lead me, I'll know it. You teach me, I'll understand it. Equip me to be and to do what you've asked me to do. Amen. So, the greatest tragedy in life is not death, but it's life without a purpose. I can tell you at least five people that myself and others here have poured ourselves into for years, five, six, seven years, four years, ten years, and they keep going back to the same as the word says, the vomit of the dog that they were in, eating the same vomit over and over pouring ourselves out to him, not understanding how can you not change? How can you not find a purpose? Why are you telling me the same thing five years later that you were telling me five years ago? Those are the people that typically on New Year's or on their birthday will tell you they're going to change. But somehow they hold on to something and then that something drags them back into what they came from. How many of you know that if a drug addict sniffs a little bit more drugs, they're a drug addict again? How many of you know that? You can be delivered and set free and healed, but the minute you succumb again to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to sin, you become that which you were delivered from. You once again have to go back through it. Paul got frustrated with it. He cried out in the epistles, quit sinning and doing the same habits. Don't be habituated doing the same things that you did as if you're crucifying the Lord again. That's how toxic he made it. Think about that, as if you're crucifying the Lord again. Wow. Is it possible? Well, because the Lord didn't die a timely death. Physically, he did. Eternally, he died a spiritual death. Let me explain that a little bit better. He died in a moment of time. We know it was on a cross. We know how he died. We know that it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon when he gave up the ghost. But the ghost didn't go alive and just go to be with the Lord. The ghost went where the soul that sins go. He was made sin that knew no sin. He was made sin, made sin. That means his soul was made sin that knew no sin so that he could become the lamb who takes away the sins of everybody in eternity. 
How can you take away eternity unless you're dealing with eternity? The currency has to be eternity to deal with eternity. Your soul has eternal life, whether to live or to die. Your spirit was granted before you were born. Your spirit was named before in a book before there was beginning of time. Your spirit has an eternal equation to it. Christ's crucifixion has an eternal character to it. He died one moment, but once and for all in all moments. And only the Lord could do that because God Almighty, who's eternal, he left this dimension. He entered an eternal dimension. And in that eternal dimension, he was able to abstain and absolve you of your sins 2,000 years later. So there's some truth when Paul says, stop sinning as if you, as if you crucify the Lord again. So I'll tell you one thing, that'll put the fear of God in you if you think about it that way. When you go to do something that you know is bad and your flesh wants to justify it and tell you there's a reason why, right? How about, how about this one? That's a good lie. I had to lie. That was a good lie. Yeah, yeah, if I didn't lie, you know, that would have hurt somebody's feelings. If I'd have told them really why I didn't go to their house or their party or something, they would have been hurt, so I told them I was sick. Oh, oh. You say, but pastor, you know, on a measuring stick of one to a hundred, I mean, that can't be as bad as rape or murder or, 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 or gossip. Or can it be as bad as uh, stealing a little bit? Can it be? In the gradation of sin, it's all sin. And what we practice, we become. And so a white lie, a good lie is a lie. Now, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me sometimes to practice telling the truth. I have to ask the Lord for wisdom. How do I present this the right way without lying? If you ask him, he'll tell you. And sometimes the Lord, will, it'll surprise you what he gives you to do. And you'll also understand that sometimes people will receive it. You know, there's a sense and a smell that's built into everybody that can tell when something isn't just quite right, isn't it? Can you tell when somebody's just not quite telling you the truth? You can, and, and the amazing thing is they really think they got it over on you. Isn't that amazing? Somebody just lie right to your face and they'll really believe that they got you and in your spirit you're saying, oh my. And then what's the, the rebound is, now how do I tell them they lied? How do I tell them I'm not accepting that? I've learned two things. Number one, to find the truth of how to say the truth, and number two, not to accept a lie. Because if I accept that lie, I'm living in a relationship of a lie with somebody. So I tell them, no, I, I'm sorry, that's, that's not the truth. What, are you calling me a liar? No, I didn't call you a liar, you called yourself a liar. I'm telling you that's not the truth. Do you wanna know what the truth is? No, well then tell me the truth. You see, we can break down our atmospheres and our environments to be disciplined to walk in righteousness. If we walk in righteousness, you are assured the favor of God. You are assured the favor of God in everything you do. And anything that we sacrifice that's unrighteous, that puts a, a wall up between us and that favor of God. All right, I'll set some foundations, I wanna move on. The greatest challenge in life Another one is knowing what to do and when to do it. I just gave you one example. 
There's many examples. You have many options and choices that are before us with difficult questions every day. Uh, what drives you to get out of bed every morning? That's one of the choices. Is, is it a paycheck? Now, for some of us, or not me anymore, but some of you, you say, hey, pastor, I got six kids. I got five kids. I got kids. That's what drives me to get out of bed. Amen. I understand that. And I'm not, I'm not harping on that, but that is unto the Lord, isn't it? The Lord blessed you with those children. Those children are a responsibility. You can still do that responsibility, but that when you're doing it, it's unto the Lord. Are you living for a purpose? Each day that you're growing older, do you use up more of your time and energy? You know, I really don't like being around people who tell me they're tired all the time. I don't know about you, but that wears on me. I'm tired. Okay, you're tired. Go to bed. Now, there's times when I'm really tired. I came home from the picnic. I didn't do anything. I watched everybody else do everything. I ate and I sat in the sun, but the sun made me tired. I took a nap and I wasn't ashamed or embarrassed about it. And, and, uh, and at that time, I thanked the Lord that I was able to do it. Amen? That wasn't what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, do you know what to do and do you have answers to the questions in your life as you order your days? Now, some of this I'm, I'm utilizing from a teaching from a friend of mine who passed on too early, Miles Monroe. He was here in this place. Miles had a talent that, and, a, and a practice that he did. And he told me that the day before, the next day, he would set up his order of schedule for the next day. He said, now I always didn't keep it. Things would come up and the Lord would change it. But he said, I, waked up, I woke up so organized in my mind, so prepared when I had an order to my next day. And he said, when I didn't have an order to my next day, I found myself groping of the best way to use my time the next day. He told me that he would get 600 or more requests every year to go to places to speak, and he could only accept 100 or less of them. He would pray over them and, and prioritize them as to which ones fit in his assignment, which was kingdom, kingdom. And if it didn't fit in his assignment, even though he said they were good people and good places, and some of them were places he'd rather go to than other places, he would separate that from his day and say, no. I've taught and preached many times to you that you can have a whole list of good things to do. You could have a whole bunch of wonderful people putting demands on you, Ralph, to do a lot of things, but you've got to learn to say no. This man has a hard time saying no, so please don't call Ralph to come to your house and do something. He's got a lot to do. Come, go through me, and I'll tell you no for him. <laughs> there are people that don't know when to say no. I was one of those people. I couldn't say no, and it would tie me up in ministry, and I'd feel bad because I wanted to be here, I wanted to be there. I, I had turmoil, I was twisted, and it was all of God. It wasn't about business, it was all of God, but it wasn't the best thing that God was calling me to do with the priority of what God called me to do. And sometimes, and, and one that hurts me dearly, is I double booked myself, and I was asked by a, an apostle in Singapore to go to Australia and to teach his conference, and that was like eight months beforehand, 
And four months before it, I was asked to do something else in the church that I was serving at the time at King Jesus. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And I had to tell that fellow I wasn't coming. And I learned later on that he had advertised me, promoted me, and there was all kind of stuff and people were waiting. My heart was crushed. And it was my fault. It was nobody else's fault. There was another time I was called to an island. And that island of reunion off side of Africa. And a pastor there called me and they had mixed religions there. It has Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, many mixed religions. I knew I was supposed to go. It was an invitation to go. I knew I had an anointing to go there and to help break those strongholds. God has given me that anointing. But something else came up, and it was another preference and another thing, and I told that person, I'm sorry, I can't come. I never got invited again, that door closed, and I've carried it many times as a regret. And so you too can carry regrets. You can make a choice to do one thing rather than the other thing, and it could even be good, but it may not be the thing that God has given you. Many times I've had to go in the face of tremendous sacrifice, personal sacrifice, emotional sacrifice, family sacrifice. I knew it was a call of God, and it was hard to go. How many of you know many times when God calls you to do something, it can become very difficult? You don't measure it by whether it's easy. You know, I thought when I was, you know, first got saved and after the second year, I started going into a lot of Western churches and the Pentecostal movement was going and, you know, and, and, and everybody was, you know, at that time it was name it and claim it and God will make a way. Well, let me tell you something. It doesn't always work that easy. God doesn't just make a way in your calling. Sometimes you have to bang the door down. Sometimes you have to march around and let the walls fall down. Sometimes I call it a blind faith leap. You just have to leap out and let God catch you. Because if you're trying to get the stairway to heaven, it's not going to work for you. You have to find out that you've got to take those steps, and I call it a free fall faith. Many times the things that God calls me to is a complete free fall faith. And somebody will say, Pastor, how did you know that? I said, I didn't know that. Oh, well, how did you make your decision? I said, I fell into it. I fell into it. All I had to hear from God was, son, I'm calling you to do that. Wouldn't it be nice if everything we're called to do was perfectly ordered? Wouldn't it be nice if you got a, a textbook and it said, here's page one, the preface, here's the prologue, here's the appendix, here's how you get there. Take these steps and you'll get... We like stuff like that. We like manuals, don't we? We love to be taught. We like, we like to take driver lessons and driver tests. and We like to understand that if we do these things, we get this. It doesn't always work that way. In fact, let me say something to you. Most of the time, it doesn't work that way in the physical realm, but it does in the spiritual realm. And that's where I want to bring us into. So, the greatest failure in life could be being successful in the wrong assignment. Huh? How many times have you talked to somebody, they spent 40 years doing something, they told you they were unhappy the whole time? Ah, I was working on my pension. I was working on this. I was working on that. I, you know, I, I was getting my 401k. Uh, I was doing it. Well, but I'm not happy. 
I go to work, I'm happy. I come back, I'm unhappy. I don't like the people I'm working with. They don't understand it. They cuss, they do things, they hang up naked pictures in the, in, in the rooms. How many people have gone through that? How many of you have gone through that? Of course you have. And nothing is worth, worse than looking back after about 30 years, 35, 25 years. How about one year? You say, man, was that a waste of my life and time. Got good news for you. There's always a time to cut the cord. God said he'll redeem the time. There, God will redeem the time. If you want to walk in the favor of God and in righteousness, then walk away from that which you know isn't a fulfillment of your assignment. Walk into your assignment and watch God redeem the time. Now, I'm not telling you to go quit your job. Don't blame that on me. What I'm telling you to do is it's called a priority. Let your priority be your priority. Many of you work very hard. I like to think I work very hard. I have a very big schedule from morning till late at night, both with ministry here, ministry with television, ministry overseas, and with work. I do it all the time. So when somebody tells me they're busy, you got the wrong ear. I don't want to hear it. You cannot be busier than me. I'm just telling you point blank. You cannot be busier than me. If you are, it means you're not sleeping at all. And I'll be able to tell because you'll be like this. No. The priority of the priority. I can tell you this. I made a conscious decision as we were moving more and more with this church and God called us back here and I made decisions of what to let go and what not to let go. That whatever I was doing had to be kingdom. And whoever I was helping had to be kingdom. If it wasn't kingdom, I'm sorry, I'm not there. I resigned from boards. Good boards. Good boards. Charitable boards. The kind you want on your resume. It wasn't kingdom. It wasn't my best call. Somebody else was better to serve that than me. I was better here doing the things God called me to do and in the kingdom. The job I have right now, I accepted the assignment I accepted because it supports kingdom ministry. And God told me to help and he said, you're the best one that I could call to help them to help it. Wow. What do you mean, Lord? There's many are better. No, you have the heart that I want to do it, son. So I say, Lord, I'll do it, but for how long? Quiet. <laughs> Quiet. Now, how many people, when they're becoming 70 years old, take on a whole new business? Huh? A few of you? Joe, okay. In the world, that's stupid. <laughs> right? It's dumb. Doesn't make sense. Oh, pastor, you're on your last lap. I'm not on my last lap. You might be on yours, but I got a lot of laps to go. Can you imagine if when the Lord called Moses, he tried to get out of it, didn't he? Lord, I don't speak so good. Call Aaron. Call Aaron. The Lord said, no, I called you. Lord, I'm, I'm older. I'm getting older, Lord. I'm somewhere between 75 and 80. You know, my wheels don't work so good. I don't have the energy. Call Aaron's sons. I, call Joshua. Hey, Joshua. Called Joshua. Joshua eventually got called, but Moses had to get a lot older. Old as Moses, right? God called Moses, and guess what? God gave him the energy and the resources that he needed to do in the time that he needed to do it. Do you know that when you're walking into your assignments of God, you can accomplish more in one day than you could in your whole lifetime outside of the assignments of God? Do you know God could have you impact one life that could change a nation? God could help you save one child that will end up having a whole generation of people, apostles, prophets, teachers, leaders. 
Leaders, leaders. So we want to get in order. And we understand that the greatest tragedy of life is to live a life outside of your purpose. So we don't want to do that. And, and we're going to practice not doing that. We're going to practice saying, you know what? I'm going to do some things in the kingdom of God that are going to help me discipline and obey myself back in the things of God. Now, you may have to give a few things up, but you're really not giving anything up. You're just prioritizing your time. I'm not telling you to give up your recreation and what you're liking to do. I'm telling you to reprioritize it. I'm not telling you to walk out of the things God has given you to do to make a living. You, you know, I bless God. I, I told you the story, but I feel I need to tell it again to you. Don't look for the kingdom of God to give you a direct salary. <laughs> That's a good job. That's called a job. I thank God I've never had a job in the ministry. I've had a lot of assignments and I've served a lot of places. I've never had a job. I've never gotten a paycheck in ministry. I've never worked for my expenses or for a car or for a 401k or for my medical compensation. Never once. And you know what? I'm so grateful to that because when I speak and when I say something, I am beholding to nobody except the fear of God. I have no agenda. There's not one person out there that can accuse me, they can accuse me of a lot of things and God knows I get accused of a lot of them. Especially when I said the sex with the cow thing about six months ago. They're still after me for that one. <laughs> but, but you can't accuse me of stealing from ministry. You can't accuse me of compromising myself to please a man or a woman or a ministry. And I'm not saying that arrogantly because many times I had people corrected me. Pastor, you don't get it. You don't understand. You're, you're supposed to receive this. I said, well, I'll receive it, but I'm putting it in the kingdom. No, no, you don't understand. You're, you know, the, the, the servant's worthy of his wages. I said, you've got to understand something. I have an eternal mindset about my wages. <laughs> I'm a Jew, and I'm stingy, and I like to save. Okay? My wife's better at saving than me. I give it to her, she saves it. If it stays in my pocket, I give it away. So I give it to her. No problem. But... I can tell you this much, my wages for the ministry, they're stored up in heaven. <laughs> they're up in heaven. So, so don't somebody come to me and say, Pastor, you don't understand. I say, no, you don't understand. You received your reward here on earth, so you already got it. That's what the word says, mine's in heaven. And when I get to heaven, neither moth nor rust can corrupt it. Nobody can steal it. I can't blow it. I'm, I blow what I have here. I give it away. I love to take a chance. Of, you know, I'm, I'm a risk taker. God knows I'll buy this, I'll buy that, I'll do this, I'll do that. But when you're putting it in heaven, it's stored up where nobody can take it. The mindset, the mindset of the favor of God is not looking for what you receive here. It's storing it up in heaven. That's one of the keys. That's one of the keys to the favor of God. That's why I can look at you and honestly tell you, I walk in the favor of God. It's one of the reasons, because I'm never looking to what God can do for me. I'm looking for what can I do for Him. And that's the same way we should be in everything that we do. So your yeas need to be yeas, your nays need to be nays. Sometimes you need to say no to somebody or to something. And you say, but pastor, it's such a good thing. You know, they, they want me to go there with them to this place every Tuesday night and, you know, and to do that. I'm, I'm just throwing things out at you. 
Does God want you there? Is that what he's really called you to do? Don't ever believe you're the only one, huh? The minute you believe you're the only one, God will show you you're not. Don't ever think you're the only one to do something. Now, that you can do, you ought to do when you need to do it, right? Don't tell somebody you're going to pray for them when you could pray for them right then, right? That's one of the biggest religious lies there is. Oh, pastor, I'm this and that. I say, okay, I'm going to pray for you. Get rid of them, right? Come on. No. I'll say to them, okay, let's pray. And then I, just to keep myself correct, I'll say, as the Lord brings you to my heart, I'm going to pray for you. As the Lord brings you to my heart, I'm going to pray for you. Because you know what? I get asked by a lot of people to pray for them. I don't even remember their names. I don't want to lie to them. But I will pray that the Lord raise up intercessors to help pray for them in their time of need and keep going. And I'll say, Lord, put it in my heart to pray for you. You know, we had uh, some years back at our home in Biscayne Bay, uh, we brought uh, Sid Roth and Samuel Smodjda to our house for dinner. They were both in Miami on television. So they came. And at that time, Sid was really seeking to have a, a, an intimate fire of the Holy Spirit inside of him. Lord Lee, what was that, about 12 years ago? I can't remember. It was, it was a while ago, maybe 15 years ago. So he was saying, you know, Frank, tell me, tell me. I said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you. He said, what do you mean you're going to show me? I said, sit in the chair. He sat in the chair. I began to pray over him. I poured oil on his head. I put my hands on him. I began to pray in tongues. And pretty soon, like this, and boom, he's down on the floor. And I got my knee on his chest. And I'm praying on him and praying on him. And I blew the, blew the breath of God into his face. And my other friend, Samuel Smodges, watching like this, he wondered if I killed him or not. And <laughs> Sid was shaking and, and everything. And then he finally got up. And he said, now I know. Now I know. Now I could have very easily, I mean, you know, Sid's daunting, right? I'm going to pray for this gentleman. This gentleman wants to know what, I, hey, I could have said, I'm going to pray for you. Don't worry about it. You'll learn. No, no, no. Let's challenge God in the times when God calls us to do what we can do and do it in the moment and do it as unto the Lord. Amen? Amen. And you have that same opportunity. Don't be intimidated by your environment and your surrounding. Pastor, you don't understand. You know, they were, they were all a bunch of Muslims. Well, praise God. Tell them, I'm going to pray to my Jesus. And you know that. Onward does it. I'm going to pray to my Jesus. And you pray to whomever you're going to pray to. But I'm going to believe my Jesus for you. In whatever situation you're in, you're, you're at the grocery line and somebody's in front of you and you hear them complaining about their problems. Say, you know what? May I pray for you a moment? May I pray for you a moment? Now, you can also pray for somebody quietly, as the Lord will lead you. But when you begin to practice your faith in all instances of what you're doing, you're beginning to walk in the favor of God in everything that you do. Bring God in the equation in everything that you do. Do you know there's not a business situation, a business uh, contract? Uh, and there's some big ones. There's some big ones that I'm involved in that I don't ask the people to pray. I don't even know what they are. And some of these people, you know, they're, they're Wall Street sharks. I say, I got to pray. You got to pray. I don't care if they take it as a weakness because I know my strength. I say, I got to pray. May I pray with you? And sometimes they're like this. You know, and I pray. 
And sometimes maybe, maybe it stops. It stops the flow of the deal, but it doesn't stop the flow of the favor. <laughs> doesn't stop the flow of the favor. So, the greatest tragedy of a life can be a life that is lived successfully, but in the wrong purpose. Huh? Isn't that a shame we, we hear about billionaires? Now they're trillionaires. They're miserable. They got divorces. Their children died of overdoses. Their drugs, their businesses, they're sad. They've got a yacht and three airplanes and 20 houses, and they're miserable. They're miserable because it's one quest to the next, a life without a purpose that's successful. So establishing priorities is one of the secrets to the favor of God. Do this in your life. Do this in your life. Take an account right now of yourself. Take an account of the things you do and the things you don't do. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak, not condemnation. That's not, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is exhorting. Exhorting you to do this. And suggesting to you not to do that. Or to make it a different priority in your life. Put God's priority first. Do you know God will merge some of your desires uh, with his priority? My wife and I have seen that many times. You know, we were just talking about a couple of our team is getting ready to go to Africa. I'm so excited because we're sending them, not me. They're going to go do better than what I could do. They're going to do the pastor's conference. They're going to certificate them. They're going to teach them in the things that we teach here for five solid days. They're going to impart to them. They're going to anoint them. They're going to commission them. They're going to ordain them and send them out. The last time we did, we established scores of churches in different countries that are still thriving, and now they're coming back. I'm excited about that, but Laura Lee and I were talking about how when she went with me a couple of the times, and I don't think the first two you went, did you? Maybe the second one, I can't remember. And uh, I was sort of excited because I wanted her to experience what we experienced. You know, you get to Nairobi, and you get in a little bush plane. Happened to be a plane that... that I was a pilot in, it, it, it's called a, a Navajo chieftain, and uh, it's the same one, I think they've changed it now, they have a, a single prop that's a, uh, 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 I think it's a Pilatus, I'm not sure. But in any regard, uh, the first time we got in it, I got in it, I looked up in the cabin and it was only one pilot and I saw half of the gauges were missing. So I said, hmm. So I, I got back out and of course they filled the plane up and they wanted to put me in the back seat and leave that seat open. And I went back in and I talked to the person that was in charge of the seating. And I said, listen, I want to sit in the co-pilot seat. Oh, we don't put anybody in there. I said, I know. I said, but, you know, I see what the other ones don't see. You don't want me to tell them, do you? What do you mean? I said, uh, you got a lot of gauges missing. And I said, if that gauge blows on the other side, that guy's flying by the seat of his pants. Oh, I said, I'm certificated in this plane. I've got over a thousand hours. And I said, I'll feel better if he and I are flying by the seat of our pants. How's that sound? He goes, okay. They put me in the plane. We go, we land, we go around the largest mountain in, in Africa. 
Kilimanjaro. We, we get around to the side and we come in and we land on this field, a dirt path. And we get out and the car pulls up with Vinny, who at that time was a pastor that we ordained out in the middle of Sambaru. And he went, and, he went and rented a car and a little truck to pick us up. And we got out and the first thing I see is a baboon. You know, I said, mm, I got a baboon out here, right? And we're on our way to the camp where we're gonna stay. And the animals are coming out. Elephants are coming out. Giraffes are coming out. Rhinoceroses are coming out. We even saw a lioness on a hunt out in the field. They're all coming out. The chimpanzees, the, you know, the orangutans, everything's coming out. Well, pretty soon it's looking like, well, this is just the way it is here. But the funny thing was, the other people that were in the plane were paying ten, fifteen thousand dollars each to go on a safari. And then I heard the safari people saying when I was in the camp, how many animals did you see? They say, people come here and never see some of those animals. I said, they came out to see me. <laughs> the favor of God. And I brought my wife and she got a safari and we didn't have to pay a dime other than what we put into the ministry. And to this day, when we go where our people go, the animals come out to greet them because we're walking in that favor and that authority. I'm going to give you, I'm going to end with this. And I'm not going to build upon it today. I'm going to build upon it another time. I want to turn to, um, I want to turn to Psalms 45. And it could be a little bit of a homework for you. Now, I'm not going to break down the whole psalm right now. We'll, we'll get back into it. I just want to teach you a few things. And uh, I shared this last night with the chairman of the largest television Christian network in the world. And I told him he smelled. He said, what do you mean I smell? I said, read this, you smell. And then he got it. He goes, he gave me thumbs up. My heart, it's not reading in the back. You can't get it up? Psalm 45? What? You're pointing, but I don't see anything. What are you pointing at? Oh, there it is. Thank you. Psalm 45. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. Now, if you notice what I sent you, what I sent you was that there's a way for you to be saturated to be soaking in the favor of God. Same thing, my heart is saturated. It's soaking with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And let's, let's go on down to verse 6. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Father, let thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. The scepter, the authority of that kingdom is righteousness. 
Whatever is righteous in the kingdom of God receives the fullness of God. With the fullness of God comes the favor, the abundance, the prosperity, the health, the long life, the peace, the joy, it all comes. God will not impart only a portion of himself unless we resist it and restrict it. God doesn't know how else to come into us or how to be involved with righteousness other than in his fullness. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Verse 7, you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Come on. If you want to walk in the favor of God, you can't mix righteousness with wickedness. You can't ask God to bless what he hates. He may not destroy you. He may not even curse you. And by his grace, you might limp into heaven. But you're not going to walk in the favor. You might have to work for it yourself. You may have to toil back in the garden, pulling the weeds, wiping off the poison ivy, taking out the splinters, waking at five in the morning and going till the dust comes down, trying to eke something out of the ground. But it won't be the favor. God says the scepter of his righteousness. You love righteousness, Lord. You hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, look at this. Your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness, the oil of favor, the oil of joy, the oil of possession, the oil of abundance, the oil of wisdom, the oil of health, the oil of prosperity. He has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, the people you work with, the places that you go, the classes that you're in. You, oh, I got the Holy Spirit all over me. You walk with the favor of God. You might sit across the table from somebody who's trying to make a deal with you, but if you're walking in the righteousness of God, you have the favor of God on your side. You might have to call the insurance company and argue with them to pay a bill that they should pay. Remember, it's not just you on the telephone. You have the favor of God. Bring God into the conversation. Don't threaten them with God. You tell them, I'm blessed. How you doing today? Well, I'm blessed. If I'm blessed, you're blessed. You're talking to me. Let's talk about blessing. Hey! Your God has anointed you. Now, if you're born again, and you're walking, and as a new creature, who anoints? Which person of God? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is anointing you with what? An oil of favor from God. More than your companions. That means the attaboy that you get from someone else means nothing compared to the favor of God. Nor does the curse you get from somebody else mean a thing than the favor of God. Let me tell you something, when you're walking in the favor of God and you're blessing the things of God, the world and the enemy will curse you. Don't expect them to affirm you. 
And the more that you're serving God and the more that you're favoring God, the more that the tides of the world and the flesh and evil will come against you. There's something said, you know, bigger giants, bigger, uh, bigger faith, bigger giants. There's something said to that. I can tell you in my own life, when I've had to take on something bigger, woo-woo, that's why I sort of counsel everybody, everybody, listen to me, listen to me. Please listen to me. Don't waste your time on Facebook. I'm being serious. Do you know how much time is wasted on Facebook? You think anybody really cares if you've got a new refrigerator? <laughs> or you think anybody really cares of a picture of you and some of somewhere else that that's going to change their day? Now, if you're using it for ministry and outreach and you're going to do stuff on it, but I don't know how some of you have the time to know everything that's going on in everybody's life. That tells me your priorities are wrong. Now, you can get mad at me, but how about you just put that one aside and take that time and quit worrying about what everybody's doing. Do you know I find out things about my own family from other people because my family's putting their crap all over, the, all over Facebook. And I tell them all, don't put me on there. Don't put my picture, leave me out. And then I got people, pastor, I wrote to you on Facebook. I said, well, you sure are wasting your time. I don't even know how to get on. But pastor, you got something on Facebook. I said, I don't do it. My team does it. And all I want on there is the ministry of God. Do you realize how much energy and time and creativity is being sucked out of this generation from social media? Do you, I don't think you realize it. I don't think you do. You say, but pastor, you know, that's, that's my hobby. Get a better one. How about you do something for God as a hobby? Don't tell me you're serving God on Facebook, telling everybody what you're doing, where you're going with all your pictures. I don't care. And here's the other sad part about that. Other people are watching. They're watching. Their impressions of you are those impressions. Is that the right impression? Is that the glory from glory as if you're looking into a looking glass, seeing the face of God? Huh? I thank God. I thank God I never got drawn into that. Maybe, you know, it's a technology. I don't know. Maybe I just never got drawn into it. So I know I'm rubbing some people wrong. I'm going to another church where they don't care about Facebook. Well, you know what, brother? I care about you. I care about you. I care about you. And I want to help you to get to the place where you can stand in front of me and stand in front of God in this congregation and say, I am confident I'm walking in the favor of God. I'm walking in the favor of God in everything I do. My yeas are yeas, my nays are nays. God is developing my path. By God, I'm going to fulfill my purposes in the kingdom of God. And God's going to bless me. He's going to give me health. He's going to give me prosperity. He's going to give me the abundance and all the blessings he promised me because I'm doing the things of God that he's called me to do. Now listen to me. Some will come against me and say, pastors preach and works. Works without faith is doesn't happen. Do you understand that? And if you have faith and you're disobedient or wicked to God or you're not fulfilling what he's called you to do, how can you dare expect God to bless it? You might stumble into heaven. 
skin tarnished, habits, addictions. God's gracious, I'm never gonna go there, that's up to him. I want to fly into heaven. I don't wanna have a question mark when I get there. I got enough stuff on my ledger from before that we don't need to talk about. I don't need to keep adding stuff to it. Once I was blind, but now I can see. So please don't be offended. But maybe you ought to take that challenge I'm giving you. Put some stuff aside and better spend your time. Better spend your time. Another thing, some people are riling with other people about abortion on the, net, on the internet. Stop it. You're not going to convince anybody by your words. You know, if that's what we were going to do, then what we should do is go protest the other four judges that voted against abortion, just like the people that are protesting the five that did. If we want to be like the world, why don't we just go do that? Funny thing, you'll probably get arrested while the other ones don't. <laughs> Put Jesus up there, watch what happens. Yeah. No, beloved. This battle still has to be won, and we're still fighting it. But we're not fighting it the ways of the world. We're fighting it not by, not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit of the living God. So we walk with that power. So let me give you this one and we're done. God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Verse 8, this one's going to get you. I'm going to leave you hanging on this one and we're going to go back to it. All of your garments... Smell yourself. I smell them pretty good. Put stuff on, took a shower, sprayed a little. Check me out about four hours from now. All your garments are scented with myrrh and alloys and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. Who made you glad? Your Lord. Where's the ivory palaces? His throne. Do you know that in the law, in the Old Testament, these were the incenses that were a fresh smell unto the Lord. The Lord loved to smell them. Do you know what your spiritual smell is of righteousness? It's like that. You have an odor when you're righteous. Do you know that a couple times it's happened in my life? When my father passed, I was in the room. I was with him the last four or five hours praying and just talking to him. And somebody came into the room afterwards and they said, as I came into, the, into this nursing home and turned into the hallway starting to come down to where you were, I smelled flowers, I smelled incense and the closer I got to the room, the more I smelled it. And when I came in here, my eyes were watering from the sweet smell of the aroma. I said, the righteousness of God released released your righteousness has a spiritual aroma and everything that is spiritual senses it bad good indifferent the enemy knows the smell of god and when they smell you and you're walking in the righteousness of god listen to me god has drawn a red line in the sand he told Moses, tell Pharaoh, the flies that are going to come upon you aren't going to come upon my people in the land of Goshen. 
you're going to have flies. They're not going to have flies. The plagues that come upon you, they're not going to come upon my people. There's a red line that draws across. On this side of the line, with the righteousness of the scepter, is the aroma of God. On this side of the line is the stench of hatred, death, and evil. You can't smell both. You have to smell like one or the other. For me and my house, we choose the righteousness of God. There's an aroma to your clothes. And out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. Now I'm going to give you more of this. I want you to get it. I want you to get the understanding. I want you to get the word. I want you to get the practical side. And I want you to understand your eyes and ears to open so you see spiritually what's going on. You see, I can tell you I walk in that confidence many times, many times. I love people to underestimate me. I love it. I love it in business. I love to walk in the room and there's five or six of them in head and their knives are short and there's just me. I don't even carry a briefcase. I don't even have a card. Can I have your card? I said, I don't have one. Oh, send me an email. I'll write back to you. You don't have a card? No, I don't need one. Here's my card. Well, thank you. I love them to underestimate me because I know when I walk in, I got the mind of Christ. I know when I walk in, I got the favor of God. I know when I walk in, I smell good in the room. I know when I walk in, here's the best part. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if the door shuts because I said, Lord, shut every door that should be shut, open every door that should be open. You see, I don't care. I don't care. The competition doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the kingdom. And when you get that in your heart, trust me, beloved, listen to what I'm saying to you. When you know that you know that you know that's your priority, you're going to walk in victory in everything that you do. You may have to fight. You may have to crawl. You may have to claw and bite and twist and wrangle to get where you're going to go, but you're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. You can't help but win when you have the scepter of the righteousness of God. Amen. Bless the Lord. Now I'm going to jump forward to one other key. Take it if you want. Don't take it if you don't want. But one of the ways that you know that you're walking in the favor of God is when you sow in the kingdom of God. Hmm? I know, that's like a wet rag, just like getting off of Facebook. Get off of Facebook and sow in the kingdom of God. Half the church will be empty. I don't care! <laughs> Why do I know I walk in the favor of God? Because God gets his first in everything my wife and I do. God gets his first. And that means God's going to continue to bless. And I can tell you now, after walking in the Lord for darn near one full generation of 40 years, God has never failed us on our sowing and our tithing. He has never, ever, 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 ever failed us. And every time we've blessed and been obedient to what God has given us to do, it's become a pattern in our life. We are addicted to it. We don't even think about it anymore. It's as natural as natural could be. God just blesses. Blesses when we don't even understand it. We certainly don't deserve it. We don't know how it's coming. You want to walk in the favor of God, give unto God. You want to know if you're not walking in the favor of God? Hold back, see. Mm. But pastor, you know, I, these bills, they're not going away. Well, go ahead, you keep taking God's and paying on them, and he'll keep sucking them up. 
But when you give to God, all of a sudden, blessings begin to flow. Forgiveness of debt begins to happen. Supernatural funds flow in your way. You begin to work half as hard for twice as much. Things begin to flow out. How many of you know there's an ebb and flow of favor? Favor flows to those that are favoring God. And it goes back and forth, and it's an occurrency of the grace of God. Favor is supernatural, accelerated grace of God. That's the favor of God. And the anointing is God doing something you couldn't do yourself in your own power. So now you put the anointing with the joy. Oh, come on, this is good preaching. You put the anointing with the joy. I'll be getting it when you're getting it. Putting the anointing with the joy of the gladness of God. Now you're opening up and accelerating the favor of God by his anointing of the Holy Spirit into your life. How many want that? Pastor Jeff doesn't want it. Brian doesn't want it. How many want that? Come on. Come on. Hey! Okay, a few of you are watching, looking at your phones and doing other stuff, that's okay. I'm not offended. Yes, I am! Hey, get off your phone. No. <laughs> but if you're on Facebook in here right now, you and I are going to wrestle when I get out of here. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Let's hand out the envelopes, please, and let's give joyfully as unto the Lord. We got some more stuff to do. We're about ready to start seeding into something that's so big, none of us are going to believe it. So that's how I know it's God. And maybe, you know, a few years from now, we'll be rejoicing about it and saying, we did that. No, we didn't do it. He did it. We just sowed into it. Amen. Bless the Lord. God is good. Yeah, God is good. And more. You know, when people tell me they love me, I like to say, I love you more. Right? I love you. My wife says, I love you. I say, I love you more, honey. And my little grandchildren coming up and hugging me, I love you, Poppy. I love you more. I love you more. And it's the same thing with God. God is good and God is more than good. God is more than good. Good, good can't even explain how good God is. He's such a good God. And I'm, I'm so excited for some of you. You're, you're making steps and you've jumped and you've taken those leap of faith into your businesses and the things that you're doing. I want you to know something. I'm not saying this lightly. I do pray for you in your businesses because I know what it's like. I want you to begin to experience the excitement, the favor of God coming down into your lives and into your businesses and, and into your bank accounts and into your tithing and into everything that you do. I want that flow to go back and forth between you and God and to move because I know how exciting it is. You know, I think I live one of the most exciting lives there are. And a lot of people might think it's boring. I think it's exciting because I see God every day in the things and in the people that I'm with. Every day. How exciting is that? Every day I see God. Sometimes it's beyond my imagination. I just let's say, Lord, are you so good to me? You're so good to me, Lord. I can't tell you how many times I walk into this church almost daily and I take a walk myself back in here and, and the worship music's playing and the lights are out and I just stay in the middle. I say, Lord, you did all of this. You did all of this. I, I, wow, you're so good, God. You're so good. I pull into the church and I see the freshly painted parking lot and the stripes. I said, God, you're so good. I see the plantings and the grooming that you've done. I said, God, you're so good. And then once in a while, someone from the community might grab you or me and they'll say, thank you for what you did there. So I say, no, glory to God. It's our Father's house. Amen. Glory 
to God. God deserves the best. And if you give God the best, what do you think he's going to give back to you? He tells you he's going to give you more, pressed down, abundant, overflowing. You want to give God the least, then pressed down, abundant, overflowing may not be a lot. But you give him the best. You can't match it. You can't match it. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for that which have been able to have been given and those who couldn't give. Bless equally, Lord. Father, let us be good stewards. We dedicate this to you. We thank you, Father, to use it wisely, to multiply, O oh God. We thank you, Father, to allow us to be the things and the people that we're supposed to be here and everywhere we go. Thank you for the offerings in the house and that those come from the distance, Father. Bless all, bless all. And Father, help us to continue to walk in the knowledge, understanding, obedience, and commitment into the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God and the favor of God. Thank you for it, Lord. Be blessed in Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen. Patty, will you release us, please? Thank you. Anything special this week we're announcing? We're all just being fat and lazy this week, right? How about Patty? How much weight has this lady lost, huh? Praise the Lord. Yeah. Uh, well, we want to announce that we have prayer on Sunday mornings at 9. Yes, we do. And That's a good priority for the kingdom. Yes, it is. Oh, but pastor, I get up, I get my coffee, and, you know, it's Sunday. Hey, hey. We got coffee. Yes. We got coffee. And we got even more than coffee. Mm -hmm. yes. We got tea, we got cocoa, sometimes we have We donuts. have little snacks. We have little if somebody snacks. wants something. But we have something you don't have in your house. We have the unity of the prayer of agreement mm -hmm. of the people of God in the house of God. That's what we have here for you. It's Amen. true, it's true. We meet at nine o'clock in the chapel area and we are averaging a nice amount of people coming in. They're committed because it's the same people coming, but everyone is welcome to come. We're seeing manifested in the services some of the very things that we're praying in that prayer room. It's coming in because the Lord's anointing us to be carriers of bringing in the presence of God into the house along with everyone else. And it is unity. It's a oneness and it's a power. So everyone's welcome nine o'clock if you come a few minutes late oh i'm there at 9 10 it's okay just come in just come in and when you walk in you're going to walk into the unity and you're going to join with us and we're we just keep it moving we just keep it moving father thank you for this blessing thank you for divine favor that rests upon us thank you lord that you have anointed us that you have called us that you have set us apart for such a time as this father let your anointing rest upon us as we leave this house lord let it rest upon our families our conversations lord let the kingdom that is within us lord be manifested in the earth father Lord, we thank you for the blessing. Lord, bless each one. Father, I pray that just as we read out of Psalm 45, that Lord, that we will, Lord, that we will just, with that anointing, let the, let the presence and the essence of your Holy Spirit walk with us today, into this day, into the evening. And Lord, let it continue to minister life 
life to us, Father, and to those around us. We bless this day, bless each and every one as we go, and we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together and to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.